I'm Ebony K. Williams, your attorney at law and host. Welcome to Holding Court, where we're going to analyze the very latest in legal headlines that everybody's already talking about. We're going to dig deep into how the courts impact the culture. Y'all know how we do. We break it down for you from gavel straight to your news feeds. And this, I promise you, each and every week, we're going to keep it a buck. Right, Dustin Ross? You already know what it is, Ebony. Let's go ahead and hold court. Let's do it. Okay, so this week's episode is about something that is dear to both of us as content creators, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, LLC, LLC. Absolutely. It's a business. It's got to be a business. Mm -hmm. And as black business owners, the importance of preserving our ownership rights is is critically important. Critically important. And and this is so on top of everybody's mind right now, Mm -hmm. Dustin, because whether it's seeing what happened, what what Dave Chappelle, a a titan of industry, is going through right now with Comedy Central. And and he made huge headlines recently because Netflix respected his insistence on ownership of his content by pulling content Dave Chappelle was not being paid for. And the culture responded to that in kind. He's still battling with Comedy Central Mm -hmm. to respect if he's not getting paid why are you still profiting off my content? We're going to get into the nitty-gritty with it in a really important conversation. It's going to be enlightening and educational, and because he's always with the shits, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. also going to be quite entertaining. It's going to be spicy. Um, my dear, dear friend Jason Lee. Yes, uh, shout Hollywood out to brother Unlocked. Jason. Yes. And listen, I love Jason Lee uh, for so many reasons, but mm-hmm. one of them is Jason doesn't take no, mm-hmm. Dustin. One thing that he's going to tell us about his own story, I know for a fact because I've seen him in action when publishing houses and whoever was 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 with, you know, the bullshit. Jason said, you know, F it. I'm going to just self-publish I'll do it myself. and get this thing out there and it still becomes a bestseller. I remember when he started Hollywood Unlocked. I remember when it was first growing and I remember him telling me that he was going to do it. Mm. And he literally never looked back. So... One thing about it, you have to respect this hustle. You cannot knock the moves that he's made. So. You cannot. And listen, yeah. you know, when when you disrupt the space like Jason does, like you do, like mm-hmm. I do, everybody's not a fan of the way we move. And that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. They want to say, oh, it's problematic. Oh, you're difficult. Are you difficult or are you insistent upon being treated as an equal Absolutely. in the business? Absolutely. We have to normalize that. And it's that difficult for you. Right. You know, and this conversation about black ownership, this has been such a secret for such a long time. No one has really felt comfortable. Comfortable mm-hmm. to be outspoken about that because you were fearful of losing opportunities. Cost or of burning, disruption. Yeah, burning bridges, yep. that cost of damn disruption. Yep. Um, and so it is very liberating mm. to be occupying this media space at this time yeah. when it's okay to speak up about that. And so, listen, shout out again to uh, Brother Charlemagne. That was one of the reasons that it made sense for, for me to bring you and Holden Court mm-hmm. to the black effect, yep. right? By, because you know, this ship was sailing. Anyway, okay, you know we this were in ship talks. Was sailing. Months. Yes, far prior to that, yes. that was a beautiful um, addition to this story, exactly. and it worked out on a lot of different levels for the show. So that speaks to this conversation. Conversation, excuse me, mm-hmm. that I can't wait to have. Me about too. Black I can't wait to yeah. talk to Jason Lee about black ownership and get into all the the nuts and bolts of of how our content creators and and other business uh, professionals need to insist upon that. Damn right. But first up, we're gonna get of course into our docket this week, and it's a really good one. It's a nice mix of stories. First up, uh, America's former father, former dad of America, Bill Cosby. Man, you talking- what do you think? What do you feel about Bill Cosby? <laughs> Let me just start with that. How did I know you were going to ask me? Well, you're that? you're a comedian. You're you know you're you're with you know the the comic legends in terms of like the impact of comedy on broader culture. What is Dustin's thoughts and opinions on the legacy of Cosby? Um, I I. 
I, I hate the fact that his legacy is stained the mm-hmm. way that it is and so terribly stained, you know. Um, the things that he has been convicted of doing are heinous things and they cause a lot of harm to a lot of people, a lot of women specifically. Indeed. And so um, when you work in entertainment, you would like for your work to represent um, a contribution to society and to the world for the greater good. So, and he certainly always has, right? Like yeah. in terms of... Uh, really putting in front of America for the first time ever uh, this kind of holistic black family with these two working professional mm-hmm. blacks, with these, you know, smart and fun and well-rounded kids. I mean, it really, of course, we're the, we're the Cosby era yeah, generation. Yeah, a totally different lens on a black family in America. Indeed. Completely different lens. People had never seen it Never seen it. And so to, to know how valuable that must have been to him and must still be to him mm-hmm. and to have it, um, I guess, eclipsed by yeah. this is yeah. Sad for me to see. That's you know? real. It's That's sad real. for me to see. So yeah, yeah, and it is. And then of course a different world, which is Cosby Legacy oh as God. well. You know, uh, big ups to all the HBCUs yes. and just. I mean, I have friends. I know you mm-hmm. have friends that literally went to historically black colleges because and universities of, because of a different world. Yes, literally. So that is. It's just really sad. It's, it's the shit is sad. The shit is sad. Yeah. The shit is sad. So. With that, we know Cosby, as we speak, is sitting uh, in, in a jail in Pennsylvania serving a three to ten year sentence because, as you mentioned, Dustin, he was convicted in 2008 uh, of uh, three different counts of sexual assault against a woman named Andrea mm. Constand, who he met at his alma mater, Temple University, Damn. Uh, when she was basketball coach. Here's the thing. Okay, so that's where he is now. He's trying to get out of jail by virtue of an appeal. Mm-hmm. Okay, now this is interesting because there's two arguments that his lawyers are making right now, Dustin. And, and I watched his PR rep uh, on an interview over the weekend. And let's just talk about narrative being interesting. Put a pin in that. Is oh. one of the arguments for like a shaver? Because the last time I seen Brother Bill, God damn. <laughs> I mean, I know he's going through a lot, obviously. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> he had that, that nasty-ass Thanksgiving dinner. We he talked. looked like what he had been through. He looked like <laughs> Bill Cosby it. must does. have been Black Friday when I seen him because Thanksgiving must have been bad because I'm telling you. Damn, Bill. Bill does look like exactly what he's gone Ooh. through in the past few years. So he's trying to get out. He's already served two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's expected that absent these appeals being effective, Dustin, he's going to probably be expected to serve all 10 years. So. Damn. And that's... Uh, at his age, that's a long sentence. That's a hundred years. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he he he. People are wondering if he'll make it out. Yeah, you know, and that's real because of his health concerns mm-hmm. and things like that. But anyways, the sentence is the sentence. So, here are the two arguments his lawyers are making. The first, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, which can, uh, consists of seven different justices, they're, they're not buying the first argument. Justin. Yeah. The first argument is. He was wrongfully convicted because he was wrongfully prosecuted because the previous DA in the case uh, uh, said that he was not going to prosecute him. They had an agreement that was never written, never right, signed, right. just a uh, gentleman's handshake. No, type he of said, shit. you know, he all said, that shit, yeah. Now, now, what the hell are you going to do with a he said? Nothing, in apparently. Not and a that's damn. what they said. And that's what they said. Specifically, one of the justices on Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, Mr. Cosby, uh, with his celebrity with yeah. his wealth should have just frankly known damn better that that was not that going that was to not going hold yeah. brother bill so that was struck down essentially you don't want to insult them the people with power like that in your case you don't want to <laughs> don't insult play dumb them. Yeah. don't play smart and play dumb don't play the in their face time. like that you yeah. know what i mean what is that so that was weak but this one dustin they are pretty open to it sounds like based off the questions coming from the bench and that is this argument okay that the five 
women, in addition to Andrea Constant, Constant, remember, Mm -hmm. it's her case, but there were five additional women that were allowed to testify in this case, were not allowed to testify in the previous case, because there was a previous case in which he was not convicted. But this 2018 case, the judge in that case did allow five witnesses to testify as an exception. These are hearsay exceptions, because generally speaking, when people are testifying, Dustin, to what we call prior bad acts, Mm -hmm. uh, things that you did in your past that allegedly were harmful, those things are generally not per- admissible mm-hmm. in a trial on a different issue. Because one thing has nothing to do with the That's other. That's exactly yeah. the simplistic reasoning. Exactly. But the exception says, unless those prior bad acts go to prove a pattern of behavior, mm. a consistency in the way you kind of move, okay. modus operandi, mm-hmm. mode of operation. So in this this 2018 case, the judge said we're going to, of the 19 women that were prepared to testify to Bill's <sighs> prior bad acts of drugging, molesting, and raping women, yeah. the judge limited to five, and those five women did testify. So now Bill's current lawyer is saying, that, w- that that created a, a situation where the, the trial was unfair and unfairly prejudicial. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to break this down because there's the same equation, Dustin, used in every case that considers admitting prior bad, bad act evidence. Okay. Here's what it is. There's this probative value which says that if we allow this testimony or this evidence of prior bad acts, it will go to prove your guilt on the current one at stake. That makes sense. That's probative value. Yeah. But we got to weigh that against prejudicial effect, which says that maybe I didn't do the thing that I'm being tried for right now, but you're going to think I did. If you hear this other shit. If you hear this other shit. Yeah. That's it. So it's interesting because the equation, as you can imagine, Dustin Ross, is very subjective. It just Mm -hmm. depends on who you ask Mm -hmm. as to whether or not it's an unfair prejudicial effect or, or if it's worth the probative value. Yeah. That's exactly the analysis. So listen, we're going to follow this. Um, two things could happen here. If these seven justices on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ultimately decide, majority of them decide that the prejudicial effect is so severe mm-hmm. as which to warrant Bill's 2018 trial unfair. He's out of jail. Or, well, he's going to be out of jail mm-hmm. um, in t- either one of two ways. Either they're going to vacate the conviction entirely, okay, and he's a free man. Okay. Or they're going to decide that at the, at the least he deserves a second trial, mm-hmm. in which case he will, you know, there'll be a bond, bail, same thing. It's, it's a do-over, mm-hmm. essentially. And uh, he'll probably, of course, make bond or bail pending his second trial resuming. So it's interesting. I mean, a, a long story very short, Dustin, Bill Cosby could be out you in 2021. them judges off. <laughs> Because if that's what it's about, it's time to look. It's time to open up that wallet, get Listen, some of that Jello some of that money, money some of that. <laughs> to that Pennsylvania Supreme Court, because they got to be on your side. They have to be on your side. But but I, I, listen, I think this is this is gonna be something that a lot of different cases are going to look at. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, because that prejudicial effect versus probative value equation is something serious. Yes, it is. It's what a serious. fine line. It's a very fine line, and it always is one of those uh, issues at, at trial. You know, when we're trying these cases at trial, Dustin, we know is likely to be up for appeal. Mm-hmm. So when you put that prior bad act witness on the stand, your ass as a lawyer, we already know. They're going to come against that, yeah. yeah it's, it's ripe for appeal. All Ooh. right, so that's, we're going to watch what's going on with Cosby, but he very well could be out in 2021. Next up on the docket, 
Miss Cynthia Bailey, uh, my my fellow Real yes. Housewives of Atlanta sister. Yes, my friend. Yeah, my friend. Yeah, yeah, your friend. I love Cynthia. Well, and you know, and I'm I'm cool with Mike Hill. So, perfect. So perfect. shout so out see, to them. So we're gonna be at the party. We're gonna be at the party. It's gonna be dope. <laughs> so Cynthia actually is uh, going to court with Mr. Peter Thomas. Mm-hmm. Cynthia's prior husband yes uh for she's suing peter for a hundred and seventy thousand dollar loan mm-hmm. that cynthia is alleging that she gave peter during their marriage which is key we're going to talk about that in a okay. second for him to reopen bar one in atlanta yes so um just a quick recap of peter's business dealings peter had a bar one in atlanta it didn't do well it went into foreclosure mm-hmm. he opened bar one in charlotte north carolina my home mm-hmm. my home city where i was raised uh it did very well mm-hmm. I, I think it's continuing to do yes. well and that's where he currently lives in the carolinas peter was trying to revamp bar one atlanta okay as of recent, it is in foreclosure. Peter is due to start making payments on that foreclosure bill January of 2021. In the meantime, Miss Cynthia Bailey has decided she wants her $170,000 that she gave Peter as a loan. Mm-hmm. Got to put that in quotes because we're going to talk about the legalities of that in a second. Um, she's saying she wants her money back, essentially. Yeah. And this is what's interesting. Um, you can... Look at the actual filing. It's it's available, you know, it's public domain, of course, Fulton County. You know, Fulton County. The damn Fulton County. Always Fulton County. Don't play with Fulton County. Listen, no, it's a complaint for foreclosure and it's public domain. Anybody can go look at that. Here's what's interesting as to whether or not Cynthia is going to be successful in this lawsuit, Dustin. Pay attention to this because we don't talk about this enough. Mm-hmm. You know how you talk about terms and conditions? Mm-hmm. Folks, if you're in relation, please know your terms and conditions. So when you give your partner money, Mm -hmm. and it could be a gift or it could be a loan, it's very easy to argue legally, Dustin, that if you're giving your romantic partner money throughout the course of your relationship, that it's a gift. Mm -hmm. And, And I won't say the courts will always default to that, but absent evidence of the contrary, that's a compelling argument yeah. for the other side to make. We and were together. let's work for the system to do it. Let's I work assume. for the system. Yeah. So what I'm hoping for Cynthia to prevail is that she has some kind of documentation. Some promissory note or so something. Exactly. Yeah. Even if it could be one sheet of paper going to get it notarized. Yes. Okay. Everybody know a notary public. Listen, everybody cousin is a notary <laughs> Somebody public. Somebody got that stamp, Listen, <laughs> listen you're going to find one. Go to the post office. Shit, it's not that hard. And and it's important, right? Because mm-hmm. it's when you're in love, we've all been in love. Yes. Somebody told me you in love right so anyway, now. Anyway, moving <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> oh, look at you blushing. It's okay. Let me try it. Um, I am under oath. We holding court. We holding court. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's very easy to feel very generous. Yes. And I, I encourage that. Yeah. You know, keep it playing, Hello. as you always yeah. say. But then when, when the love runs out or you mm-hmm. find yourself at a different place with this partner, it can get complicated. Yes, and it can. All, this is why I'm a proponent of prenuptial agreements. Yeah. You know, do the paperwork on the front end when you're in a good place. Have something in place. Have it in place so that if and when, heaven forbid, you find yourself in a different circumstance, um, it doesn't have to get ugly. Yeah. And by the way, you don't, this, a breakup is not always the Oedipus for the repayment of a loan. They could still be very married. I know couples, married couples, they still keep their finances rather separate. Yeah. You know, and they could still be married and say, listen, you know, remember I get, I, I loaned you that 170 
baby, I'm, I'm trying to do a business over here. I'm going to need that back. Running. So it's not always a doomsday scenario in which you want to get replenished for a loan. So I saw a clip from an Instagram Live that Peter Thomas uh, posted where he was saying he offered a little bit more context. Oh, let, let me know what um, Uncle so Ben said. He Uncle said <laughs> so he said that apparently this was a 30... He he admitted to it being a loan. Okay, well, that's good for Cynthia. That's yeah. great. Yes. That's great, because he did not necessarily have to. So well, that's thankfully, good. he did. He said right. that it was a 36-month um, time period, I guess, that they agreed to uh, in the terms for of repayment. the loan. Yeah, for repayment. Okay. And that apparently that expired in two months, in the next two months. And so that, I guess, was... What, you know, gave Cynthia some sense of urgency to file this based on what he said. Got it. And he was saying that he has plans on paying her, you okay. know, before the time gets here. But okay. to me, why is it so easy for you to... He said he was going to cut this check. But why is it so easy just for you to cut this check? Now, if that's the case, Keep it's it been player. 34 months. Keep, Keep it, it playing. Player. All of this could have been quiet. Yeah. Because I haven't heard Cynthia say anything in and the Cynthia, media. And Cynthia, you know, from what I, I, I know of her... It's just really not uh, a particularly flamboyant person no, when it comes to no, this type of stuff. No. She seems to keep her business low really key, close to yeah. the to the to the vast, very low key. So for her to make this filing tells me that she had some concern. Absolutely, she had and some in concern. that case, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, you know, just pay her the damn money. But I'm glad to hear you report that he is conceding it was mm-hmm. a loan. Yeah, for sure. He has intentions to repay her. That makes Cynthia's life easier. What I'm telling the good folks and the jurors out there. Everybody is not going to necessarily do that. They are not. Okay? And you can't assume that. If people have a chance to get away with $170,000 that they already have, it's going to be difficult to get that money back out of them. So you're 100% right. Yeah, Eddie. listen, people are trying to get away with $100 damn dollars. Yeah, seven so, dollars. Yeah. If you're <laughs> on the right spice, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so that's good. So listen, just protect yourselves, folk. Protect your loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, we protect need to normalize. We need to normalize paperwork. Yeah. Can we do that? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Unless you want to end up like this. Listen, I need my 170 I need all, every dollar of it. I need and, my and we one. Need to, yeah. I need my 99 cents. Exactly. We need to normalize paperwork. We need to normalize promise. Agreements. Yep. We need to normalize prenuptial agreements. And frankly, we need to normalize NDAs. Yes, we do. We need to normalize paying people back the hell on time, too. Yeah, because you know what what's real normalize. whack? Um, somebody in the streets owes me $3,000 for... Here, um, mm-hmm. No, I'm very serious. Look, look, you, you're going to laugh, and then it's, it's also like really fucking maddening. This individual, high-profile, um, senior executive, <sighs> everybody... If I said the name right now, you'd be mm-hmm. like, stop. Mm-hmm. This individual owes me $3,000 for a speaking engagement I did um, two years ago now. Get out. I know that invoice didn't say 24 months. Listen, that invoice said pay upon receipt. Okay. And this individual is still out in these streets on Clubhouse holding uh, room conversations about uh, black leadership and ownership. Stop it. If you don't pay me my damn money. $3,000? Yes. And it's like... No, I'm not hungry, but I want my $3, damn money. $3,000 is $3,000, especially if and it was And I did payment. my services, yeah. and he had the nerve. Oops, there's a tell. It's a him. He had the nerve mm-hmm. to hit me up. Oh, my God, you did a fantastic job, and I'm still getting compliments on the— Thank exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> so, so can you show your appreciation with my payment? Yeah. Yeah, let's normalize paying people but their money back. And Especially you know when you're going to see pay her damn money, man. Pay me my money, sir, please, because I don't want to be looking at you sideways for the rest That's of my right. life. But right now, I am. So listen, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we've got much more holding court. Stay with us.
All right, last on our docket, uh, this is uh, Sister Breonna Taylor. We're going to keep saying her name, Dustin, right? Yeah, hopefully one day in, in better conversations. But yes, we I are going to keep saying her name. I concur. So right, right now what we want to report is Breonna Taylor's mother, Miss Tamika Palmer. She recently was denied a request for a special prosecutor in the case. So this is Breonna, mother's, uh, Breonna Taylor's mother rather doing exactly what she should be doing, mm-hmm. which is going about the business of still seeking justice for her daughter. Mm-hmm. And Dustin, here she's saying... Okay, Daniel Cameron, want to be whack? Mm-hmm. How about appointing another prosecutor, a special prosecutor that might feel differently about the accountability of the officers that went into this woman's home and killed her? Yes. Okay. Sadly, nine members of what we call the Kentucky Prosecutors Advisory Council all voted unanimously, might I add, last week just to deny Brianna's mother's request for a special prosecutor to reexamine uh, Brianna's killing. I want to point out some facts here. The fact that it was unanimous, rather, really bothered me. That really, really angered me when I read that. Really angered me. It it angered me too, Dustin, and so I wanted to know more. And so this is the reasoning that all of the uh, members of this advisory board said no to reopening the case and assigning a special prosecutor. They said this, Dustin Ross. We don't have the legal authority to remove Daniel Cameron or overstep uh, his his discretion mm-hmm. uh, as the acting local prosecutor. Now, as much as it pains me, that is likely true. Mm-hmm. I just want to be fair here. That is probably the case. But that does not mean it's the end of the road for Brianna's mother Thank you, or those Ebony. of us yeah, that are still seeking justice for Brianna. This is what I predict. Okay. My legal experience tells me this is the next step. Well, A, Brianna's, Brianna's mother, Miss Tamika Palmer, is seeking to get sanctions against Daniel Cameron by the local bar association there. I don't know how successful she'll be there. But back to justice for Brianna specifically, I think this is going to end up in the Department of Justice's hands. Mm-hmm. Okay, As Biden and, and, and Sora Kamala Harris take office in January of 2021, thank of God. course, thank God. Ooh, child. Thank you, God. Raise him! Um, they will indeed be afforded the opportunity to appoint a new attorney general. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Thank God. That new attorney general, Dustin, will have the authority mm-hmm. to have federal jurisdiction opportunity over any of these cases, including Brian Taylor. So that's what I predict. I think the D- this is going to very Eric Holder style. Yeah. Where the DOJ is going to say we have suspicion that something was afoot mm-hmm. in Kentucky and we're going to send our federal agents to open oversee exactly what was done at the local level by Daniel right. Cameron's office and then they will be the deciders and I think that's going to be the best opportunity for Brianna's Taylor Brianna Taylor's case to be reopened, reexamined and a special federal prosecutor potentially mm-hmm. to be appointed. Now since we're talking about authority, mm-hmm. goddamn it, we're going to go over your heads and then there over Daniel go. Cameron's head. There you go. And that's what I think um, will probably happen. Well, that's good and that's hopeful. And I'm glad that, that you were able to share that because I didn't know that. Once again, mm-hmm. learning on this show every time we do it. Listen. But I didn't know that that, yeah. that would be the path that that information would take and that that legislation, I guess, would take. I think so. Yeah, I think that's going to have to be the way it goes. Because Daniel Cameron is the lead uh, as the state AG, as the state attorney general. He's He's pretty much the final stop in terms of state authority. But there's always that next level, Dustin. Yeah. Federal will always trump state um, in these cases. And so I, I, I excitedly anticipate the arrival yeah. of a new attorney general in our country by yeah. William Barr, which are punk ass. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Bye for the last time. Don't come we back this time. We are tired of you. 
Goodbye. And uh, and that new AG will will create yet another opportunity for justice mm-hmm. for Breonna Taylor. Thank God. Okay, listen, we got to take another quick break, but on the other side, we're going to discuss the importance of black ownership, Dustin, yes. black content creators, and, and our insistence in this moment. See, this is not the old days. We will insist on black ownership and an equitable part of what we offer as creatives in media. We're going to talk about it with a very special guest, a friend of mine, a friend of yours, Brother yes. Jason Lee. So That's stay right. with us. All right, welcome back to Holding Court. Now, we're going to get into a topic now, Dustin, that, you know, you and I have been speaking about really since... Since we day one. Yeah. Exactly, since day one. And that is Black ownership in, in media as content creators is so important. And what I'm happy about is that it's starting to be a conversation people are having out loud. That's right. It's much needed. It's a lot of history here. I mean, we go back to Black recording artists, right, um, in the genesis. Yeah. Of, of the music production era and people are doing great work selling millions of records and making no money. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly nuts. Remember our, our um, demo episode of Holding Court, we referenced the TLC situation. Right? The RAV4s, yeah. Oh, don't pay me in no rav <laughs> We're not having that. So yes. Not working that hard for that. So and it's it and it's real. It happens to our people all the time. And and finally we're at a place as a culture where it's unacceptable and we're, we're yeah. not and so the conversation we're going to have with my friend and yours, um, just a brilliant content creator and businessman, Jason Lee, is really about that life. So welcome to Holding Court, Jason Lee. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Jason, let's just get straight to the shits. Um, this, this has been in the ethos. It's been in the news cycle with various artists. But top of mind, you know, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle's come out recently and yep. been you know, very clear, you know, Netflix, I'm not getting paid on this shit. Take my content off your streaming platform. And they did. To Netflix's credit, they did. Comedy Central, different situation. To this, you know, airing of this episode of Holding Court, they have not removed the content as Dave Chappelle has asked them to do because he's not uh, reaping a a profit from it. So, Jason, just top line. What what are your thoughts? Um, What has your experience been in the business as a content creator, as both talent? And we're going to break this down in a second. The difference, right? between being talent and being a producer on things. Yeah, I think, you know, um, to see somebody as successful and visible um, and transformative as Dave Dave Chappelle to come out and uh, speak about the issue of Netflix having his content, I think was really important. And I hope it's not a missed moment for people who want to be in Dave Chappelle's shoes at some point or people who are working hard to achieve uh, the same level of success because that same week, the same thing was happening with me where I did an interview with Black Enterprise and I talked about racism in media and I talked about Viacom not letting me out of my contracts because I had reached a certain level of success. Um, and then in the midst of the pandemic, um, you know, uh, people aren't working. I fortunately have been able to keep working and build and whatever, but you know, I wanted to go, I want to go and create shows now. And there's certain contracts that I have with Wild and Out and Love and Hip Hop on Viacom that didn't allow me to do that. And I and I and I use that contrast with what Dave is doing um, so that people know that 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 the racism and the control 
and the uh, attempted hijacking of people's individual brands is rampant in this industry. And I think that when people get in, we get in with the ideal that we're going to just let our creative juices flow and create all these amazing things for the culture. And we want to help build influence. We want to reach our people. And then as you build and elevate and collaborate, more and more people get involved in your business and then it becomes something else. So I think for, for what Dave has done was he has just continued to pull the veil back um, for what on, on a topic that we all know exists. And then as far as Viacom goes, you know, um, I think they thought that I was Masika or some of these other people that were going to spend, you know, years on years of just cussing on Instagram when that I know how to get your attention. And so, you know, I'm I'm glad to say that they let me out of my contract on Friday. Thank you, Jason. I'm so happy. Congratulations, Jason. Congratulations on your emancipation. Uh, and I mean that sincerely because, yeah, hashtag free Jason Lee was a thing and necessarily so. And the way in which this veil, as you say, Jason, is being pulled back, I think is important, too, because it used to be the case that all of this had to be hush, hush, quiet, quiet. Right. No more. And I think we have to normalize what you're doing with coming out publicly and speaking on uh, the issue you have with Viacom and starting the public <clears throat> campaign for hashtag free Jason Lee. Chappelle, because he is titan of industry, he was was able to and had the courage to speak on his shit on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I mean, he did that shit in his freaking opening monologue, bought and sold and said flat out, Chappelle's show was being streamed on Netflix and HBO Max, and I'm not getting paid for any of it. Calling it out in real time in the, in, you know, in, in the, the vessel in which it's going to be most received. And I think yeah. that's important. We need to normalize that shit, right, Jason? Yeah, I think if you look at the evolution of the civil rights movement and 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 I, I you know, some people would say, oh, well, this has nothing to do with the civil rights. Yes, it does. It has everything to do with us as black people being emancipated uh, from the plantations that employ us or partner with us. And I think that, you know, um, if you look at the struggle back in the 60s, you know, it was nothing was easy. Nothing Rosa Parks did was easy. Nothing Malcolm did was easy. Nothing Martin Luther King did was easy. Nothing Jesse Jackson and those who followed did were easy. Were easy. And so what's the difference between what Dave, you, myself, uh, what, what's the difference now? We are all talking about equality. You know, I look at somebody and I've said this um, uh, to Ebro and Peter Rosenberg, right? When I did the interview at High 97, when I brought up Wendy Williams and Peter tried to shame her, I said, listen, what's the difference between Wendy Williams and Howard Stern? Right. Well, Howard Stern does does a lot more because he's white and he has a lot more opportunities. That's why. But she's a black oh, woman. So yeah. yeah. And we don't make a place for black women to be shock jocks. That's the difference. That's right. And Howard doesn't have to be fearful of losing opportunities, which is what has been such a hindrance for creators of color, people that work in the media, talking heads, we're fearful of being told, well, we won't give you any more opportunities if you speak up about what's going on now. And Dave Chappelle has been a pioneer of that. We know he walked away from the Chappelle show, what was that, a $50 million deal? Many, many years ago. Um, and so to have him have that respect and literal actual clout within Netflix based on his talent and what he's contributing and the value of that. It's a beautiful thing to see. And Jason, you've always been unapologetic about speaking up about black ownership in media, speaking up about the way that black media outlets have been treated. So it only makes sense to see that evolution is as you move forward and getting released from that Viacom contract. So 
good shit, but, man. But see, but see, here's the deal. Like, and that's the whole point, right? We have to stop being afraid. Yes. I'm, I, I, and like I told somebody yesterday, you know, and I'm not going to drop their name because there's a comma on that conversation because I'm not done with it yet. <clears throat> the new, the new thing that people need to realize is that white people are hiring black people to be in positions of 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 helping to control the slave master's field, right? And I think that. We have to be mindful as stewards of the movement that we don't become so complacent with our role in it that when we win, we then do the master's dirty work. Yep. And and I will say that, you know, do I think my partnerships are per, are perfected? No, but am I am I calling people out on their shit very publicly once I feel like I've exhausted all the internal conversations? Yes, because I don't think that you know, I know that uh, buying black is a hashtag and it's popular and, you know, hey, let's jump on this Black Lives Matter shit and ride this all the way to the bank because we'll give a couple coins to people over here to go and do that and spread that message for us. No, real ownership is the new black. You know what I mean? I own Hollywood Unlocked. The day I started my brand, I owned it. The day I first stepped foot on a TV show, I owned it. I'm going to always own it until I sell it. But, but what I won't do is allow what I built and the influence that I have to just be, uh, it's not for sale. You know what I mean? Like you want to partner, you want to invest in buy, you want to invest in black brands. Well, guess what? Pour a lot of capital into it then. You got it. That's it. That's important, Jason, what you just said there. Partnering as, as, as creators and as business people. And it's sad to say that when it comes to being black content creators, a lot of these fucking platforms, they don't want to partner with us. They're literally not interested in partnership dealings whatsoever. They only want to own all the shit. And for, for folks like you, for folks like Dustin Ross, for folks like myself, they simply refuse. Um, it, it puts us in a position where we have to move differently. Yeah. We have to move Do you know why though? Do you know why they don't want to partner? Tell me why. I have some suspicions, but tell me Because the control. They can't yeah, of control. Course. Of course. Okay, Listen, yeah. I'll give, you an, I'll give you an example, right? So I'm a partner with iHeart. We did a deal. Me and Premier Networks partnered. We went to iHeart. The three of us partnered on a show that went nationally syndicated. We started in 55 cities. We're now in 62 cities and growing. And I remember the first meeting that I went into, um, well, not the first meeting, but one of the first meetings when we started to look at the money that I went into and the money wasn't right. And the, the look on people's faces when I spoke up and asked questions as an executive versus a talent. Here. Um, I, could tell, I, I could tell that people felt that I did not have the place. They resented it. To talk. They resented it, Jason. And I know all about it. And, and what's nuts to me, hmm. and not to flex, real quick, did y'all forget I'm a fucking lawyer? Thank you know, you, that's the nuts. Like, that's so crazy to me. I walk into these rooms, y'all, and maybe, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman. I don't know if it's because I'm a black woman. I'm a fucking lawyer. First, foremost, and all. I've been practicing law since I was 23 years old. You're not about to sit up here and play me on the business side of these dealings. So, quick story about holding court. Very similar to Hollywood Unlocked syndicated deal. I was happy to partner with platforms to get this incredible show off the ground. And almost every place I went prior to the Black Effect Network without heart, they wanted to own. And so it was only when, you know, Charlemagne was able to bring this very particular partnership structure that I was willing to partner with a broader platform. Dustin Ross, you know, baby, it, we were, what, three weeks out from going yeah. 
solo. We were about to we go. Were, we were solo. on the move, yes. And yep. I was going to put all of my money personally. We were happy to be that way as well. And happy to do it. We weren't thirsty for the look, so. There was no price I wasn't willing to pay y'all to not own this shit in my own capacity. Yeah. And, and it is resented, Jason Lee, as you just said, and we have to normalize this shit. You will not shun or shame us as people that have both talent and business acumen. But you have to be prepared. And to the, so the, the, the ending to the story I was telling was you have to be prepared to be labeled as difficult. And, and this is what I said to the person that I was talking to. When I walk away, if I decide to walk away from iHeart, if I decide to walk, when I walked away from Viacom, if I decide to walk away from Fox Soul or any of my other partners, I'm still Hollywood Online. And I still own that. And all of what you've done to help me with your audience has pulled them into my brand. And then I, but they're serious. They're Spotify. There's other options. There's finding an investor to build out your own network. And the point that I was making was, you know, it is not easy. Ownership is not easy. Um, navigating through these uh, these trenches are not easy because you will be labeled. And then, hey, you may even be blackballed like Dave Chappelle was. But look at Dave Chappelle has come back and he's found success. And and I, and I would say that you have to be selfless in this fight for equality because it's not all about you. What I did with Viacom set the stage for somebody else to win. You know what exactly. I mean? And so although I'm leaving Viacom, now I'm going to another network to build content. And so I just say people need to have the courage to um, have the ownership. And what I love about you and your brand is, you know, I remember early on, they wanted to, um, they, they love my show and they wanted to do it on TV, but they just wanted to change the name. Don't change the name because if you trademark and own your name or if your name is in it, they can't replace you. They can't replace Hollywood Unlocked with another host because I own Hollywood Unlocked. Why you think this shit called Holden Court with Ebony K. Williams? Hello? Hey, no, just any old body whole court shit. But (laughs) no, but it's true. Like, it's funny, but it's true, Jason. And I really want people to get this. And I really want people to get that. It's not just about me or Dustin or you. We are setting precedent. Okay. We're setting precedent to, to the way these deals with talent, relatively young black talent look going forward. And we're normalizing uh, an expectation of us as black talent and content creators to be treated as business professionals. Right. Fuck out of here. And this is not new. Y'all remember when Prince uh, changed his name in yeah. 93? Well, he, he, also, he also shaved the word slave in, on, in his beard. And that's right. And people at that time, I remember we, I was a little kid, but I remember, you know, oh my God. And I remember even people in the culture, y'all, thinking he was being greedy or he was doing too much. Or, well, why can't he just be happy like everybody else is happy with their deals? No, nah, because Roger, Prince Roger, he understood it was some bullshit. The level of creativity that he was offering Warner Brothers <clears throat> not reciprocated in the money. Yeah. And the fact that this man, they would not let him own his masters of his content that he wrote and produced and was the talent on. Come on now. So that's this is- why, But that's why if you're going to make the argument about how valuable you are, um, you need to do the research, right? You need to find out, like, I know what other radio hosts have less national markets than I do, but make, you know, a hundred times the money um, and have a, a less stronger di- uh, uh, digital imprint than I do. I know by looking at all of the pickup from Vanity Fair, Vogue to Shade Room to Essence, uh, that my interviews have been picked up on 
And, and then I look at these other shows that aren't getting any press, you know? And so, you know, is it, is it relationships? Is it backdoor dealing? Is it, you know, the token nigga tokenism? I don't know what it is, but what I would say is that I've done all my research. And like I told this person last night, I don't ever come for nobody until my clip is full. So don't think that I'm just out saying I want millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Do I deserve millions of dollars for what I built? Yes. Do I want um, to have my value reciprocated in the form of a check that can that can clear? Yes. Uh, is COVID real? Yes. But like I also told iHeart, my revenue is up 300% during COVID. So if you guys haven't been able to figure out how to get the money up, that's not an that's issue. Right. That's, that's not me. That's not me because I, I my money is up. You know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, don't be afraid to have these hard conversations. And if you come into any partnership with the fear that you're going to lose it by standing up for yourself, you already identified yeah. you're in the wrong relationship. Well, yeah, because you can't negotiate from a place of desperation. And I want to be or, or fear and fear. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, it, it make this conversation easy for um, folks to hear us just kind of on our high horses because it's not that. I know that I'm not alone, Dustin, Jason, chime in here. There have been deals I have signed in the beginning of my broadcasting career that were shit deals because I had desperation around just getting on the air. You yeah. know, I had, I had a, a thirst, okay? I'll, be, I'll own it, um, of just being in the game. Um, but as you grow, uh, you have to change the way you move. So here's where I want to take the conversation because this shit drives me. And I hear it still every day in this business. Here's what they do. Dustin Ross, um, you're a huge talent. In fact, you're a star. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is we want to put you in an agreement. We want to get, oh, I don't know, five-year options. Five-year options, meaning we're going to renew you in the mm -hmm. same capacity for the next five fucking years. But we want you to sign this deal that says you're going to get the same raggedy-ass $1,000 for the next five years. But don't pay it any attention. We're gonna rip that deal up. Yeah, sure. Y'all heard that shit? Yeah, and then you're gonna give me a winning lottery ticket uh, at lunch <laughs> tomorrow, right? Let me tell you something. As, as you move forward and progress and, and you build relationships, you become more informed. And so, um, you, yes, you are, are in a position at a certain point where you need um, a legitimate representation of what you can do. So sometimes you have to take certain opportunities. Yes. But, um, it just pays to be much more informed so that, like Jason, further to your point, you are coming into those rooms and into those conversations well-researched. You know what the landscape and the marketplace looks like. You know what you represent. You know your value and you know where to aim with your negotiations. Mm -hmm. And so it's just it's just so beneficial to have that information as you grow and move forward. And like you said, Ebony, this is not an unrealistic uh, POV. You know, absolutely we can relate to being in a position where you do take those opportunities that may not be the best but you learn from them and yeah. you build momentum as you go from opportunity to opportunity so, and you have to yeah. have strategy around it right because yeah, exactly point you know when Chappelle signed the comedy central deal that he is now uh you know <clears throat> pleased with yeah. uh he's 28 years old and, and yeah. as he, said, he had a kid on the way he was desperate his words not mine he needed uh, something any money at that point in his career yep. was better than no money. It wasn't good circumstances, but quote, what else was I going to do? That's what Dave Chappelle said. And this is important, Jason. I want you to chime in here because technically, legally, Comedy Central is not in breach. Okay, so this is where the law has to be paid attention to. Just like that scenario I just laid out for Dustin, I, mm -hmm. I know I've had at least five deals in the last, you know, as many years come to me like that. You know, where, where I'm expected to sign 
and engage on a rate that is not favorable and then told orally, but don't pay that no attention. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Cause when we renew, oh, we gonna get we gonna get you right. From somebody okay. lying their ass off they right in your face. In yeah. Face. And then I'm expected to trust that uh in the long term. And we know legally it doesn't work that way. Once you sign on the dotted line, the four That's corner it. doctrine, that means the four corners on the piece of paper that bear your signature, that is what's controlling. Not a conversation you had with some executive that was kissing your ass to incentivize mm-hmm. you to sign a deal that it was not in your favor. Jason, has this happened to you? Because I have to imagine that it has. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, and I like to use specific examples, not to shame, well, sometimes to shame people, but more importantly, to help just kind of like uh, paint the picture, right? When I signed my iHeart deal, it was good money. You know what I mean? Um, And when I came into the relationship, I said, hey, I want to, I'm ready to do a show. You want me to go national? They're like, what, what, you've never done radio. Let's start off on the weekends. Let's see what can happen. And then in a year, you know, we could talk about doing more. I'm like, okay, okay. So, Let's be clear. I signed that deal. The money was decent, but I signed that deal more for the optics of how my brand was going to elevate. We were going yeah, to be aligned with my heart. Exactly. Now, well, now we were going to be on Love and Hip Hop. We we're going to be on Wild and Out. We we're going to be now nationally syndicated with iHeart all across the country in everybody's homes and cars. And so for optics and for all that, it made sense, right? Now I came into the relationship knowing I can hold a five day a week gig. <clears throat> for five hours, it's gonna be expensive, but I can do it. And so what I look at it is, um, and then they talk about renewing like you talked about, right? But here's the deal, we're up on our year now and I look at it like, let's see the proof of concept. What did we build in that year? I took a show in a market in LA that was 17 in the market that's held at number one since the second week and it stayed at number one. I can look at all the numbers and I say all that to say, you know, what is your narrative? How are you building your value proposition on paper? How are you validating and quantifying your efforts? So that way, when you're at the table, it's less emotional and finger pointing at what everybody else is getting and more about what you've actually built, right? Then you explain to your partners, you invested in this and now we built it. So now let's not talk about hopes, dreams, and ifs. Let's talk about what we got. You got a hit show, pay for it. And if they can't afford it, you bundle that up and you go somewhere else. But I will say, I want to give a shout out to James DeBose over at Fox Soul. Love James. Because James, you know, he saw me early on when I came on to Dish Nation. He brought me back several times. Uh, And then when he moved over to Fox Soul to head their efforts there and, and be the head of the network, he offered me a licensing deal. He didn't come at me with, hey, we want to buy Hollywood Unlocked because he had heard my story about ownership. He licensed my content. Uh, for a very narrow period and for a very decent price. Um, I'm executive producer in control of my content. And and when they first did the deal in the contract, the attorney sent over two pickup orders. I mean, two rights to pick it up again for Mm -hmm. two options for, for 26 episodes. Right. And, and I was like, no, not at this price because we're going to do the first eight evaluate our efforts and then we're going to come back and renegotiate and he gave me that and i and i think and i think it's important for people to understand that was a black man that gave me that and the problem what i see is it's this white people and i love white my mama's white so let's be very clear oh, mama. yeah mm-hmm. i've done a lot of great business with white people i uh and and i love white people but this message for white people is when you're in a position of power 
and you have a young black dreamer at the table telling you their value and demonstrating that value, right. it is your obligation to the movement to set precedent every single time about how much you pay into, pour into, or invest in that value. Because one day you're going to get a partner like a Jason Lee or an Ebony K. Williams or a Dustin Ross who are not going to be afraid to call you out. Now I'm at the table with iHeart renegotiating my deal and talking about how to expand. And I love them and, I, and they've been good partners and I wanna continue with them. But like I told uh, unnamed person yesterday, it's all gonna be predicated on how they demonstrate the value I know I've delivered. Yep. And, and I'm not afraid to walk away and say, I did it because I accomplished nationally syndicated radio as one of the first openly gay men in urban radio on the radio talking about politics and sucking dick. And it and and I haven't been flagged for it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about James DeBolt. I'm really glad you brought that brother up <clears throat> in the space. And he represents what more black executive gatekeepers should be doing. James came to me along with uh Stephen Brown, who obviously yeah, is shout out to Stephen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout out to Stephen. Um, but I'm about to get Stephen together in, in a very polite way in one minute. So when I first met Stephen Brown, it was in Los Angeles, gosh, I want to say 2014, mm-hmm. a long time ago. And I was, I would say still in the kind of early to, to, to intermediate stage of my broadcasting career, still operating solely as talent, front facing talent, hosting shows, uh, correspondent for news outlets. That's what I was doing. Okay. When I met with Stephen and James, they offered me uh, a correspondent role for um, particular, you know, kind of vertical, political vertical or whatever. Um, I didn't really love the role because it felt limited. It felt like some shit I would have done five years prior. But I liked Fox Soul. I liked where they were going with the branding. I thought it was a nice place to come out of Fox News Channel as I was because this was pre-revolt. Yes. This whole conversation was pre-my relationship with Revolt. And I had an intention, y'all, on taking my content specifically in front of Black audiences. So that was aligned. The money was like, come on, Steve Brown, now brother, no. And James, but this is what to James's credit, and, and I realized it was because Stephen Brown had in, in, engaged with me at a different point in my career and he was still seeing me in that, mm-hmm. in that way. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Somebody meets you early in your process and then they meet you much later in the process and they they, they have not made the space for your growth. Um, that was the situation with me and Steve Brown. I hold it not against him. It's very prevalent in the business. It's fine. But James, he saw, he saw um, the opportunity. So he said, listen, Ebony, I totally respect that you're not able to, to join us on this particular offer, but let's just stay engaged. Let's just keep the relate. And this is, I'm speaking now on the power of the past. So obviously I passed on that offer. It made no sense in any capacity for me at that point in time in my career. But the relationship with James is still intact to this day. And, And we're always checking in, to your point, Jason Lee, on what makes sense now. And probably I'm anticipating James and I will do some type of business together because he is a Black executive that sees the bigger picture. He's always looking for these ripe partnership opportunities and and amplifying voices and content that serve the greater purpose of the culture. So I'm glad you told the James story. I'm glad it made me tell my James story because that's what that should look like. And people don't need to be afraid, y'all, of passing or walking away thinking that that's the end of the road forever and that you burned a bridge. That's a bullshit narrative. 
Yes, it is. Simply because, right, you, you, you analyze the facts and decide that this is not the move right now. That doesn't have to be a bridge burned. Handle yourself accordingly. And it could be, it actually could be a bolstering of the relationship, mm-hmm. the building of the mutual respect. So I have a Stephen Brown story <laughs> and let me say, so Stephen Brown is, for those listening, is a big executive over at Fox. Yeah, he, at, at Fox Syndicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he runs all of that. And so uh, when I had broke the Chloe Jordan story, um, I was whisked into so many meetings, meetings with Will Packer, meetings with Stephen Brown, people trying to pitch shows, what Jason should be, he's the next Wendy Williams, he's this, he's this, he's this. And I always believed, and I will stay firm in my belief that one day I will have a national syndicated talk show, right? Well, no doubt. Now, I thought I was ready then. Mm. I, I create all these conversations online. I think, I think I'm ready. But uh, when I got to Steven, you know, he didn't feel I was ready. And so I go, okay, you know, whatever. And so while we're in the meeting, he says, so how, what is your strategy on how you break all your stories? Like, how do you get it all out there? I said, well, it's, I have a very simple thing. Like if it's, um, I, I go to Angie at the Shade Room and Robin at Ball Alert. And then I also go to my friend Brody Brown over at Us Weekly. And he goes, oh, Brody, that's my son. I said, really? <laughs> I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, I've broken many stories with Brody. And, and he goes, yeah, well, me and Brody aren't talking right now. I said, watch this. So I called Brody. I said, Brody, I got a story, bitch. It, it needs to go out right now. He's like, what's the story? I said, it's about a father and a son who aren't talking but now there's a bridge being built that nobody knows about. And I think you should be the one to break it. And he goes, bitch, who, who, who? I said, you and Stephen Brown. And I put him on the phone with his son. And they, started, and they started talking. And then when he hung up, he goes, that's crazy. I said, that's Jason Lee. And the point of me using that is that, to what you're saying, right? People that come to you and say they want to work with you, but then tell you you're not ready, to me, I think it's a mind game. And I think it's a way of making you second guess yourself. You got to keep doing the work. I never stop. Now, now that I'm over at Foxo on a licensing deal, I'm back as a nationally syndicated host, an author, and all these other things. What I've learned is nobody's going to move your brand better than you. No matter what name is attached. Now, I remember Floyd Mayweather telling me, you're the Floyd Mayweather media. Stop expecting everybody else who's excited about you to do more for you than you are. Nobody gets in the ring and fights for me or with me. I fight by myself and keep fighting. You're going to be at the top. You have to keep going. And I always remember that when I'm in these rooms because people will subtly, if not uh, uh, overtly, tell you to give up on yourself. They will. They'll tell you to fall back. They'll tell you to wait in line. They'll tell you many things. And, and I think we can kind of, this, this conversation is going to happen many, many times on holding court. So, so jurors, <laughs> we're going to keep having titans of industry that are moving the way they need to move to, to encourage you. Because a lot of people that listen to our content, they themselves are content creators. They themselves are trying to develop themselves into business professionals. And I want that so deeply for our culture. But I want to wrap up today's conversation with this. It's what you said, Jason. It's that a lot of mind games being played, y'all. And a lot of people will tell you a lot of things to serve their financial interest. You have to, I don't care how old you are, if you, if you, if you think you're good enough to enter the game, enter it. You are the CEO of whatever shit you're doing. You are the chief executive officer. You must be able to make those decisions and assessments on your own behalf. Not an agent, not a manager, not a lawyer, not a 
nothing, not a digital assistant. None of these people are going to be able to substitute their, their judgment and their ability to move your machine the way you can. And you have to be unapologetic and relentless. And if you're not about that work, you can go ahead and skip this episode of Holding Court. That's okay? right. It's not for you. That part. And, and again, the relentlessness and the fearlessness go hand in hand. Indeed. And again, the best example in modern times is look, look at Chappelle. Chappelle felt that he had entered deals, legal deals that were not in his interest. He walked away, Dustin said it early, 50 million from Comedy Central. And he came back to this industry on his own fucking terms. And I can I can barely name anybody dominating in their space better than Dave Chappelle. So it's never the end of your story. There is always more to be written. For those listening to this conversation, taking notes, don't play yourself in these negotiation processes and walk away on something trying to be cute. Right, right. Taking for granted, you're going to get that follow-up phone call. Every time I've passed, I've legitimately passed. I've done the calculus in Mm -hmm. my heart space and in my head and said, but this is the bare minimum amount I can get and wake up every day and feel good about doing this job. And if y'all can't get here, we can't do business. That's how I my calculus. It's just that simple. And honestly, anyone who asks you to, it's it's so distasteful to get pushback, period. You know what I mean? Because every, everybody that you work with, you don't have that experience with. Some people, you, you let them know, you know what your terms are and they mm-hmm. just say, okay, you know what I mean? And, and you feel like you're respected in those moments and it's a good reaffirming feeling. Um, so you do have to be all right with the other side. So yeah, but don't yeah. bluff. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. If, Kids listening, don't 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 take what we're saying here as experienced veterans in this business. Right. Oh, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be like, nah, fuck that. Haha, <laughs> they're gonna come back. If you're not, if you're not elite, they will not come back. And it will be a missed opportunity. I love it. Jason Lee, brother. We we, we appreciate you here holding court. I appreciate you personally. Yes. Uh, you know, you, you just you just move different and, and I love you for it. Anytime. Listen, thank you guys so much for listening. Please go follow us, subscribe, rank us, give us those five stars that we are shooting for each and every week here on Holding Court. Tell all your friends, tell your mama, tell your cousins, help get the word (laughs) out. Because listen, we're looking for that top 10 spot before the end of 2020. Uh, So don't forget, check out all of our episode notes too, because we put key information information to go deeper into what we do here on Holding Court. Holding Court, of course, comes to you from Uppity Productions in association with Dossie Media and it's presented by the Black Effect Network from iHeartRadio. Audio engineering services are provided by One of One Productions. And we always want to give a quick shout out to One of One because they are one of our favorite Black-owned businesses. So check them out. Mm -hmm, Indeed. At oneofoneproductions.com. Join us again next week when we hold court. And in the meantime, y'all, listen, put your mask on. Stay safe. If you are in Georgia, make sure you register to vote in this Senate runoff because it's very serious. Yes. Stand up for your rights and always read the what, Dustin? Terms and damn conditions. Indeed.